Hello, you have reached episode eight of the Riot and Frolic podcast. Today I'll be reading Bad Teaching, which I'll link to in the notes. Hi guys, welcome to Riot and Frolic, a mostly ballroom dance podcast in which I'll read dance-tastic posts from my blog, complete with the volume, emphasis, unintended sidebars, and accidental life lessons you'd expect. Let's get to it. Bad teaching. One million years ago, yes, I prehistorically uploaded pictures to a technological platform, I posted a series of pictures to ye old Instagram. Using the classic teaching tropes, I told one of my kids to stand up tall. Then I said, use forward poise. Next, I told her to bend her knees. And finally, chin up. And the final result, even though I gave her excellent directions, is not excellent. Well, she's a child, one might say. She doesn't understand what you're saying. Or maybe my excellent directions weren't all that excellent. The phrases stand up tall, use forward poise, bend your knees, chin up are all true. But if they're offered with little explanation or awareness of how they tie together, you get poor Georgia as in the pictures, and quite a few beginners as well. To complain without a solution is the worst, so let me offer some advice to teachers and then to students later. Stand up tall. This one is probably the hardest one to screw up, but finding vertical is admirable yet tricky for many people. Saying the words stand up tall usually makes people pull their head and shoulders back and level their jawline out. Sometimes you even get sometimes you even get some correction of duck butt, scientifically known as lordosis, or hunchback kyphosis. Mostly the work is getting everyone's heads back far enough. Hashtag desk life. So standing against a wall is an easy exercise, in quotation marks. And of course, I already wrote a posture post, which I'll link to in the notes. But then forward poise. The words use forward poise mean very little to anyone at first. It is jargon, vocabulary, words that people outside the dance world do not understand. In context, anyways, do not use it without defining it and explaining it well. Forward poise should be an active and engaged way to hold your body to make movement in any direction easy. The weight of your body should mostly be over the balls of your feet. I always think of tennis players who are waiting to return a serve. Like, they are ready. They're ready to move any which way, forward, back, right, or left. Or down. At a second's notice. And really, less than a second. Now, that's an extremely sporty example, but forward poise is not leaning on your partner because then the impetus to move would be on your partner and not on yourself. 
nor should your toes be curled up to keep you from falling forward. In both examples, you have gone too far. I have two methods to help people find forward poise while stationary. First, have people bounce lightly a couple times and then stop and notice how they're standing. It's pretty impossible to bounce without using the balls of your feet. So, voila. Secondly, stand up tall, comfortably, which usually means people will stand with weight equally distributed over the front and back of their feet, if not further to their heels, and then have them shift forward. It helps to do this in a mirror, or at least so show them a side view of how it affects their posture. Keeping forward poise in practice and not just while standing around is a huge part of the learning to dance process, but having a starting point is number one. Next, bend your knees. I love yelling this from across the floor at my couples when they're in the middle of a round, but they already have a ton of context for what I mean. I have so many notifications going off. I'm sorry. But they already have a ton of context for what I mean. Similar to the first two directions, bending your knees is an integral part of ballroom dancing. Do you ever write words that you're not very good at saying? Integral is that for me. Anyways, yet bending your knees also should involve bending your ankles and your hips. Do you remember how I was describing poor Georgia? She is pitched forward and has a downward angle to her head because she followed my excellent directions. Poor Georgia. If I had explained bend your knees better, she might look and move better. Metaphors are great teaching tricks, so I like to tell people to bend their knees like they're about to sit down, but just at the very beginning of that motion, like they've just hitched up their gram, like they've just hitched up their pants like grandpa does before he sits, or they're perched on a bar stool for my 21 plus crowd. In any case, saying bend your knees does not uh, cover all of the joints that you need to use when you bend your knees. Next, chin up. Oh, I I hate this one. On the continuum of you can't really screw this up to just stop saying this because it's not correct, this is the latter. Because of the excellent directions I gave poor Georgia and the order I gave them in, poor Georgia is seemingly looking down because she stood up tall, used forward poise, so she's like the leaning tower of Pisa, and then she bent her knees. So if you do that on your own, or you can just picture it, she's got like a downward lean to her going on. Well, of course, we can't have that. So I told her to put her chin up, and now I've made a mess. There's not really a way to come back from this one, so read below, or I'll read it for you. The summary All of those phrases I told poor Georgia at the beginning were correct, but when instructors throw them at students with no context, corrections, or specificity, students just do all of them and then look a little bit goofy, and it messes up their learning for the future. 
Everyone needs to use forward poise, but it's not just leaning forward as it's often quickly explained. And if you're trying to lean forward and then someone tells you to bend your knees, your butt sticks out. And then someone tells you to look up, then you're one big goofy looking zigzag and it's not your fault. Now I get to quote the brilliant Kaya, whose name shall always be all caps in my book. She said, trying to sum up something that involves a lot of subtleties and technique in two or three instructions results in bad learned habits. It seems, end quote, by the way, it seems to happen most often in group classes or when teachers want to teach more, note, more ideas. Ideas is what I mean, which feels more productive to many instructors than spending 45 minutes to several weeks showing a student how to stand up properly in fun and sneaky and a million variety of ways, even if it's better for everyone in the end. If you feel like you're teaching more in a bad way, do more learning. There's 50 ways to leave your love of dancing with your student. Through words, movement, examples, exercises, metaphors, repetition, graphs, drawings, videos, homework, the list goes on. Find more ways to communicate all the things. Talk to fellow teachers. Go to classes yourself. Oh my God, please always do this. Take lessons. Read books. Practice. Notice. Reflect. Go forth and teach good. Okay, so now for my two cents I have a couple more things to say about teaching and then I'm going to circle it around to learning because I know many of you guys are students. So I was reading a quote from a journalist that said, a very basic requirement for journalists is to be responsible with our words. If we use our words wrong, it impacts the entire story or our audience. And I feel very similarly about teaching because there's a lot of words that you could use that sort of mean what you're trying to say. And then there's better words. So I have in the last few years adopted using the word correct instead of right. And right is a synonym of correct. But when you're using the words right and left, as in opposites, use your right foot, use your left foot, it seems easier for me to, if someone does thing, if someone does something 100% the, in fulfillment of a, a task, I say, you did that correctly, not you did that right. <laughs> so... Um, using the right words and coming up with the right words or the most accurate word, I feel like is an important and weird part about teaching. Now, the other fun thing about teaching, I don't know if you guys know <laughs> who John Danaha is, but if you're me or you know my husband, then you probably have heard the name John Danaha. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know. I have to say his name that way because he's from New Zealand and he says his name 
several times when he's doing interviews and stuff, and it just sticks with me the way that you say his name. So anyways, this guy from New Zealand, John Danaher, I believe he has a doctorate in some insane philosophy uh, branch, and it's got a great name, and I can't remember what it is, but in any case, he has a PhD in philosophy, and he's a world-renowned Brazilian jiu-jitsu coach. He works with the Gracies. If I've totally lost you at this point, it's okay. I'm coming back to dancing. But in any case, John Danher, he's, he's brilliant in many facets of his life. He uh, has written many, many things, like both doctoral theses or whatever you call them, and like Instagram posts. So in any case, he was talking about how when you're teaching, it's really easy to overload people with information. So you have to be able to read the crowd and give like direct information with some context. But if you give too much, then students will get bogged down trying to recall all that crap that you told them, which was maybe too much crap for them at the time. And instead of uh, producing some result that you're looking for them to produce, they're like, they're just in their heads and they're thinking. And I definitely have seen this. I've definitely made it happen to people and felt terrible about it. Um, But that's just part of the learning curve of teaching, if that makes any sense at all. So uh, feeding students, this sounds terrible and really condescending, but feeding students the right amount of information at the right time is a huge part of teaching well. Um, And John Danaher just backed that up for me. Now, another big thing that I heard from John Danaher and like teaching and learning things. This is for the students who we all are, I hope. There's two paths when you're learning physical skills. You can build your skills or and or you can acquire knowledge. So many times when I'm teaching, people will be nodding along and they'll be like, "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm." I hear the words you're saying and all those words that you're saying, I got them. They make sense in my brain. And I'm like, that's awesome that you have heard them before or that for the first time they're making sense in your brain. But now you have to do the things that I'm telling you to do. Or that you've already heard to do before. You have to do them. So skill building and knowledge acquisition are two pretty different things. As great as it is that you might understand what a heel lead is. You're like, yes, it is where my heel hits the ground first on one in waltz. Mm-hmm. You might know that, but doing it and doing it repeatedly at the right time with the right action from your standing leg and all that stuff, 
that takes practice. You have to do that action many, 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 many times before you don't have to think, do a heel lead on one in waltz. And what happens to many people when they are stalling in their dance progress is they get stuck in their beautiful heads because they're like, I understand all this information that you're telling me. And your dance teacher is like, that's awesome. Do it. Do it. Do the skill. And it's frustrating because a lot of people who come into ballroom dancing are very smart people. They're very talented in many areas. We have a lot of highly qualified doctors and like CEOs and, you know, PhD students and like just a whole bunch. There's a lot of smart people in the ballroom dance world. Um, so when they're like, yeah, I get the thing that you're telling me. And then they're not doing it because it's a physical thing. It's not just a mental thing. They're like, what? Why isn't my dancing getting better? Like, well, because you have to do the thing that you understand. So I'm going to make one little metaphor. Um, when you judge gymnastics, <laughs> again, I'm like out in Brazilian jiu-jitsu land. Um, when you judge gymnastics, you do not have to be a former gymnast. You have to mentally understand the things that gymnasts need to do to get, I don't even understand the scoring anymore. It's not a perfect 10. A perfect 10 is like not a perfect 10 anymore. Correct? I don't know. Somebody explain the new scoring to me because I'm old and it used to just be, you want to get a perfect 10. Anyways, so when you judge gymnastics, many Judges are former gymnasts, but you don't have to be. You just take a bunch of tests and then voila, you can go say this skill is worth whatever. Um, And they didn't point their toes as much as I wanted them to. Those gymnastics judges have a great amount of knowledge acquisition in the realm of gymnastics. Do they have any skill building? No. Um, I definitely have known judges who couldn't do a cartwheel. Like maybe, maybe in their past they could, but like that was kind of the height of their skill. So when you're learning to dance, well, you do have to understand many of the concepts that your teacher is telling you to really the most important part is to do it. So instead of nodding and saying yes, when they're telling you to do kind of maybe ridiculous uh, skills or exercises, do them, do them. Um, the reason anybody is telling you to do something is because you're not doing it yet. The classic thing is, You'll be like, oh, am I doing it too much? And your coach will say, when you're doing it too much, I'll let you know. Because you're never doing it too much. You're never smiling too much. You're never 
doing too much Latin motion. Maybe, maybe there was one time where somebody was doing too much Latin motion and I was like, no, but most of the time, if somebody is telling you, Hey, you need to take heel leads on one and you're nodding. No, no, no. Like go do a bunch of boxes and take your heel leads on one and make sure you're really taking them like take video or whatever. I've had so many coaching lessons with students. Like we had a coaching, we had a coach in on a lesson and they would be saying something super basic like, Hey, don't take heel leads on three and waltz. I'm really focusing on waltz today. And my student would be like, yeah, don't take heel leads on three and waltz. And I'd be like, you just took heel leads on three and waltz. Like, don't just nod and say yes. Like, go practice it and do it a bunch of times. Otherwise, you will not progress as fast as you want to. Um, And it's really easy because I know it's fun to talk to your uh, teacher. And I know in your head, it all seems crystal clear, but... Sometimes the transition from it being crystal clear in your head to being crystal clear in your beautiful body doesn't always go as smoothly as we want it to. So you must use your body as much as possible in your dance lessons when your teacher tells you to do something. The end. Um, That is the end of this episode. I'm super impressed I got through it all. Thank you for sticking with me. I'll try to make this happen weekly again. If you're baffled by my absence, I have a three-ish week old newborn and, you know, a freaking bunch of toddlers around and it is nuts in this house right now. It's a circus. It's kind of a fun circus depending on what time you're coming at, but oh, okay. So we got it. We got it done. I hope you guys enjoyed listening. As usual, if you have any questions, message me in some way. Um, leave a review if you're so stoked that you have to leave a review. And I will talk to you guys soon. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining me today. If you picked up what I laid down, leave a review for the podcast. Come back next time. And in the meantime, go forth and practice.